It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Access Atlanta, your weekly look at what's fun, entertaining, and educational in and around Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Every week, we're here to help you get ready for the weekend and bring you conversations with some of the most interesting people in arts, culture, food, and entertainment. Let's get started with a couple of events that are happening around town this week. There's something for everyone who loves music as a trio of local festivals gets underway. Kicking off the events this weekend is the Amplified Decatur Music Festival, with headline performances in Decatur Square on Saturday, bookended by shows at multiple locations on Friday evening and a Beatles Let It Be Sessions tribute on Sunday at Eddie's Attic. Jam band Roots Music and environmentally focused Sweetwater 420 Fest returns after a pandemic-related hiatus the weekend of April 29th through May 1st at Centennial Olympic Park, preceded by a separately ticketed pre-party in the park on April 28th. Weekend headliners are Trey Anastasio Band, Oysterhead, and The String Cheese Incident. Returning to its usual springtime slot, Shaky Knees Festival takes place in Central Park April 29th through May 1st. A who's who of indie rock, punk, and synth-pop acts will grace four stages over the weekend, from headliners Green Day, My Morning Jacket, and Nine Inch Nails, to Spoon, Churches, and Death Cab for Cutie. Get the details on all three festivals in the Go Guide section in Friday's Atlanta Journal-Constitution, or check out the story on AJC.com. Long before the advent of Jimmy Fallon, an entire generation knew Jay Leno as the innovative host of The Tonight Show. But the affable comic, who followed Johnny Carson, Steve Allen, and Jack Parr into the position in 1992, has juggled a busy stand-up career with various television, film, and voice jobs since the 70s. Hitting the road nearly every weekend while balancing his Tonight Show duties, Leno racked up massive frequent flyer miles as he played national and international venues. Since 2015, he's combined his road-tested comedy gigs with an ever-expanding collection of classic cars and motorcycles. Jay Leno's Garage has been a consistently popular series via broadcast TV and YouTube segments. This weekend, he finally returns to Atlanta for a performance at the Cobb Energy Center on April 23rd, a show that has been rescheduled three times. Read our interview with Leno in Thursday's Living section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast, and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. 
But first, we're going to hear about one of the films that will be screening at the Atlanta Film Festival, which opens April 21st. The number of film festivals has expanded in the past 10 years. More than 2,000 are staged around the world, dedicated to women directors, Japanese film, hip-hop, and countless other themes. As testament to that intense festival growth, this year, the 46-year-old Atlanta Film Festival received 10,000 entries. Following a hybrid model, this year's Atlanta Film Festival will return to indoor screenings at the Plaza Theater and Dad's Garage, and also features special outdoor screenings at the Carter Center and the Atlanta Botanical Garden. Viewers can choose to see films virtually or in person, or a combination of both. Felicia Feaster is here to introduce her conversation with the directors of one of those films, Refuge, which is set in Clarkston, Georgia. Welcome, Felicia. Hi, Shane. Good to be here. So um, this this sounds like a, a pretty fascinating movie. I mean, Clarkston is a, is a really interesting place and has gotten a lot of coverage even nationally. Um, so there should be a lot of interest in this. Well, I think it's always nice when the Atlanta Film Festival, you know, focuses on on work that's made by Atlanta filmmakers. And this one is directed, Refuge is directed by Aaron Birdhart and Din Blankenship. And it's a really fascinating story that I think will resonate with a lot of Atlantans because it's about this unique city of Clarkston and how it's become a, a refuge for immigrants fleeing persecution and war from around the world. And the film focuses on a Syrian Kurd uh, doctor, Haval, and his very unlikely relationship, his growing friendship with an army veteran, Chris, who also happens to be a white supremacist. Um, it's, it's about this, the magic of this community of Clarkston and, it, and how it heals. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I, I love that. It, it sounds like a fascinating thing because I'm very familiar with Clarkston. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see the town on uh, on film. Um, and so you spoke with the directors of, of the film and, and about the Atlanta Film Festival, of course. Uh, we have a story up online, which you can read uh, and find out more about what's going on there. Um, is there anything else we should know about the film festival or this film in particular before we hear from the directors? Well, I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, both Aaron and Din had traveled extensively around the world. And so I asked them, you know, do you think that travel is the antidote to racism and exclusion? And I thought Din had an made an interesting point about you know, actually, you can travel just staying in Atlanta. You can see this incredibly broad spectrum of humanity just, you know, right here, people from around the world. And you just have to open your mind to different points of view and, and people from coming from different realities. So I thought that was a real insight into you don't have to physically travel. There's all this opportunity to learn and grow from the people who live very close to us. All right. Well, as I said, you can check out more about the Atlanta Film Festival online at AJC.com. Find out what's coming up. We'll have uh, a story. We have a story about about the film festival and, and what you'll see there. Uh, but meantime, let's hear from the directors of Refuge. Thanks so much, Felicia. Thank you, Shane. This is Felicia Feaster here with the directors of the documentary Refuge. 
Aaron Bernhard and Din Blankenship. Their film screens at 5 p.m. April 23rd at the Carter Center. Thank you all for being here with us. Thanks for having us. So you can actually go to uh, theatlantafilmfestival.com or www.atlantafilmfestival.com to buy tickets and to find out more about the films that are playing. But we want to talk right now to these directors who are based in Atlanta and have made a really fascinating documentary set in Atlanta. Din, maybe you can give me your elevator pitch of what Refuge is about. Ooh, um, it's been quite a journey of making this, and even that, the answer to that question has um, shifted a lot. But um, it's a story that follows a leader in a night in a white nationalist hate group who has a, a pretty strong hatred towards Muslims. Um, it's the journey of him overcoming his hate in his relationship with a Muslim who is a um, Syrian cardiologist who um, lives in Clarkson, Georgia, which is a community here in Atlanta that has been home to resettled refugees all over the world. And so it's been a really powerful journey to witness this kind of transformation of um, you know, what's possible when um, <clears throat> people offer each other this kind of radical compassion and empathy. Definitely. I hate to throw out words like heartwarming because it sounds trite, but it really does kind of give you hope for humanity to see this story unfold. It's it's wonderful. Erin, you were actually inspired to make this film by the events that unfolded in Charlottesville. But how did you find out about this particular story and the relationship between these two men, Chris and Haval? That's right. So Din and I, along with one of our executive producers, Katie Couric, we all went to the University of Virginia and Charlottesville is such an important place that just really shaped a lot of what's good in us and a lot of the good that we see in the world is represented there. So what we saw happen was shocking and we just had to do something about it um, in our own small way, though hopefully this film will turn it into a big way. Um, but it started as a film about Clarkston, this community that seemed like the opposite of hate to me. Um, I had been volunteering there for many years and um, the this one guy, every single person I already knew in town all of them said, you've got to meet Dr. Haval Kelly. And so we met and he quickly, you know, we identified him as a great subject to film. Um, and he was on this crusade to stop Islamophobia. Um, and we had been following him and, and several other incredible people and families in Clarkston for around six months, maybe nine months, um, when Haval got a phone call that changed his life, changed our film, changed our lives. Hopefully we'll change a lot of people's lives for the better to be more open-minded and open-hearted. Um, and that is the call where he got introduced to Chris. And did you change the title of the film? It was originally called Clarkston, but now it's Refuge. Did that pivot happen, Din, because you changed the focus of the story? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> for a long time, just because, you know, as Aaron just described, the story that we set out to tell took such a huge shift when Haval was introduced to Chris in a powerful way. But I think for a long time, we really 
we felt like we had multiple films kind of in one and it took us a really long time of working with our incredibly talented team to really hone in on the heart of the story which we felt like you know at its core this is a story about what it is to seek refuge to seek um, belonging and identity and purpose and security and also what it is to be a refuge for someone else and i think that's true and descriptive of chris's journey his wife melissa haval the community of clarkston and so once we kind of landed on that title it really helped us stitch the story to, together in a more cohesive way, which took us a really long time to do. So Aaron, you both have had pretty formative experiences working overseas in Madagascar and Uganda. How important is travel to your personal journeys and understanding of other perspectives? I think travel definitely has shaped um, so much of who I am and, you know, and, and the best version of me that I want to be. Um, and it's just, like I said earlier, how one of our goals is for the film to hopefully open people's hearts and minds. Um, that, that is what travel's done for me and for so many other people that I've talked to about travel. Um, Ted Terry, who was the mayor of Clarkston at the time that we were making the film, has this awesome quote about travel from, I think, Mark Twain. I can't remember it exactly, but basically it's saying that travel, you know, just helps you see outside of yourself and can make you such a more tolerant person. Um, and so that definitely has shaped you know, the ability to make this film. Also, on a more specific level, my time in the Peace Corps in Madagascar, I I was honestly a, afraid of Muslims. Um, having been in high school during 9-11, which is such a formative time, growing up Jewish, um, I, I definitely didn't hate them. Um, I didn't know any Muslims. Um, and Haval says something really powerful in the film that, it's hard to hate what you know. And so as soon as I end up, ended up in a village that, that had a lot of Muslim people in it, and I knew them, immediately any fears that I had melted away. And, and I was really ashamed of them. Um, and so in that sense, if I hadn't had that travel, I don't think I would have had the drive or courage or ability to even make this film. And of course, many of us have not had the opportunity to travel during COVID, and many of us have perhaps done a deep dive into Netflix, other places, watching documentaries. So I wondered, Din, do you think that documentaries are a pretty good substitute for travel for viewers maybe who haven't had the opportunity? Yeah, for sure. I mean, stories have such an incredible ability to um, to expose us to different perspectives than than ones we might encounter in our own world and I feel like as we're becoming more um, likely to live around and surround ourselves with people who are like us in whatever way that likeness is whether it's you know faith race socioeconomically um, stories have such a beautiful ability to bring us into the world of of somebody new you know and documentaries especially. And I think for us, we've been so encouraged as we've been able to share this film with audiences and film festivals, just seeing how inspired people are by 
the courage of Chris and Melissa and Haval and just their stories have really um, invited people to kind of look inward in their own lives and in their own relationships. And, and it's um, because they're seeing it in the form of this movie's documentary, that's like an easier entry point in terms of like cost, in terms of like, you know, I don't know, fears and discomforts. And so it's really amazing to see how stories of all kinds can really open our hearts to, to worlds and people unknown. And Den, you even said before this conversation to me something about, well, travel um, is wonderful and documentaries are wonderful, but there's nothing like just connecting with the people close by. I mean, Clarkston Mm -hmm. is close to us and um, there are plenty of opportunities to connect with people without even leaving your city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that's so... um, just inspiring about this community that, you know, it's this radically diverse community, but it's also a community of people who were enemies in their home countries for many of them. You know, you think about any kind of war or tribal conflict, there are going to be refugees produced on both sides of that conflict. And so for many people living in Clarkston, they come from places where they were enemies in their home country. And so what a beautiful thing to see people who are able to overcome the traumas that they've endured and to, to put this kind of radical compassion as a higher value to this, you know, um, animosity, hatred, whatever it is that they were fleeing in their own, in their home countries. And so um, it's pretty incredible that we have this community kind of, leading the way for us in our own city in Atlanta. This is Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We'll continue with our chat with the directors of Refuge after a short break. But first, here's more of our list of things to do around Metro Atlanta. Actor Brian Tyree Henry is well aware that the break between season two and three of FX's Atlanta was incredibly long, nearly four years. But he said with all the mayhem of the past four years, including the George Floyd protests, the pandemic, and political upheaval since 2018, quote, we have more to talk about. Atlanta works best by observing the world we live in and embodying it in the show. The writers were incredibly malleable to what was going on, unquote. The series shot its third and fourth season last year in succession. The third season debuted last month. And Atlanta is by no means taking any conventional path in its storytelling. The main characters, including Henry's Alfred, also known as rap star Paperboy, are touring Europe. Yet two of the first five episodes that have aired so far in this 10-episode season had nothing to do with the main storyline. Check out our interview with Henry online at AJC.com. All around him, Tony Award-winning Atlanta actor Shuler Hensley sees the repercussions of two years of COVID-19. Colleagues who have not been able to return to pre-pandemic work levels, theater productions that have closed early, or ones that were never able to open. In his new gig, the current Broadway revival of Meredith Wilson's 1957 The Music Man, he's one of only four performers who has not tested positive for coronavirus during the musical's run, even with the company applying safety protocols. Hensley moved back to Marietta in 2012, and a lot is brewing for him back home now. Hensley has been part of City Springs Theatre Company since its 2017 inception, first serving as the Assistant Artistic Director. 
He stepped up to artistic director last year after founder and artistic director Brant Blocker resigned. Read an interview with Hensley and find out more about his busy schedule in a story from our partners at Arts ATL, which you can find at AJC.com. Now it's time for this week's adoptable pet from the folks at Lifeline, who run the Fulton and DeKalb shelters along with the Lifeline Community Animal Center. Sweet Sparrow is all you could want in a sidekick and more. Part snugglebug, part treat lover, all smiles, this girl is the whole package. At four years old, she's ready to spend her days exploring the world with you and making memories. Sparrow knows some basic cues and would love to keep learning with you. Her tuxedo coloring is off the charts cute, and she will happily take a belly rub if you have one to spare. She's at the Fulton County Animal Shelter at 860 Marietta Boulevard Northwest in Atlanta. You'll find a photo of Sparrow and a link to find out more on the story page for this podcast at AJC.com. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is Access Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The facts matter now more than ever. Get unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution so you know what's really going on. And you're helping us fulfill our mission to bring you the news that's important to you. Subscribe today at subscribe.ajc.com podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com podcast to join the community for just 99 cents. Let's continue our conversation with the directors of Refuge. It's a very um, refreshing portrait of the city. I mean, that's not exactly what the film is about, but I found it very affirming to see what a dynamic, complex, complex place we live in. That was a really amazing takeaway from the film. Erin, can you tell me a little bit about how you and Din, as well as, as your crew and many of the makers and producers behind Refuge bring diversity to filmmaking? Because you have a pretty unique um, list of, of producers, executive producers, but also the people behind the scenes making the film. Yeah. First, I actually want to address what you just said about how it's a really neat view of the city, um, the film. We also think it's a really important view of the South in general. Um, the South, you know, a, a lot, the South, a lot of terror happened here in the South to a lot of people who weren't, you know, white male landowners. And it's just a lot of terror happened all over the country, too. And I'm not saying that the South is not at fault and didn't do terrible things, but a lot of people did terrible things all over the country. And a lot of people continue to terrorize people who are different than them all over the country. And so I, I think it's important to show that the South and this community of Clarkston at least is doing something beautiful and right. 
Um, I forgot your question. That's okay. Well, I, and that leads me. I'm just so passionate about that. No, I get it. I get it. Well, that makes me wonder because you have traveled quite a bit. I would imagine you've encountered a lot of stereotypes about the South. And um, I know having lived in New York, I definitely got some of that myself. So it's, it sounds like you're just trying to be true to the reality of what's happened in the South, but also educate people about it's far more complex than you might think. Exactly. You said it way better than I did. And I remember your question now about the diversity on our team, which <laughs> is one of the things we're most proud of. And it's really cool because it's so hard and long and tedious to make a film. Um, and you don't really get to see the impact of it for so many years after you start it. But we got to see the impact day in and day out during the whole four years of making this film, um, thanks to what we put into our crew. So Den and I are both women. Um and we hired a team of almost all women and others underrepresented in the film industry. So the industry is 90% male, <clears throat> mostly white male. And our team was made up of refugees and everyone from a refugee in Clarkston to, you know, like we mentioned already, Katie Couric and really incredible women here in Atlanta, like Pat Mitchell and Sarah Blakely and Caroline Tucker and, um, and so we had just a very diverse team that represented the story we were trying to tell. And also a lot of diversity on the political spectrum. Um, so we have a, a really <clears throat> serious goal that we are super intentional about that we want everyone to be able to see this film and to learn something from it. Not just Democrats and not just Republicans. And it's nice that your goals kind of correspond with the Atlanta Film Festivals because they've made it very um, known that they try to highlight uh, female directors, that that's part of their mission is to have people showing films that are not, you know, your usual white male director. So that's kind of a nice um, coincidence <laughs> for, for your film. Din, can you talk, I believe it's you who has the family connection to Katie Couric, who's an executive producer on this project. Is that the, the case? Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's been such a dream. We're asked often, like, how did Katie get involved? And we're like, we ask ourselves that question every day. <laughs> how did Katie get involved? Um, so Katie and my dad were at UVA together, and they've just stayed friends over the years. And um she, as we were getting working on this and we're kind of really digging into what are the questions that we're asking of ourselves, of our country, you know, a lot of the things we were really digging into were things that she was also digging into and a great piece she did for Nat Geo called America Inside Out. It's really great. If you haven't watched it, I highly re recommend it. Um, and so I, he just had a sense that this film was really going to resonate with her for those reasons. And so he put us in touch and we shared an, an early cut of the film. And, um, you know, she's somebody that's really passionate about um, the story, but also building up young, we aren't young women, but younger than her <laughs> women in this industry. And so it's just been such a wind in our sails to have her on our team and to have her believe in us, you know, and, and the cuts that she saw were early and not refined. And it's just really encouraging to 
um, have had her kind of believe in us for so long and have her on our team is kind of a dream. And it's got to help to get a little attention if you have that kind of big name associated with the film, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just having her attached to the film has opened up a lot of doors for us that we wouldn't have had opened if it weren't for her. So lots of gratitude. And you you all have shown the film in other places, but Aaron, why do you think it's important for local filmmakers to have their work shown in a local film festival like the Atlanta Film Festival? I'm so glad I was on mute while Den was just talking because I laughed so obnoxiously loud when she said that we're not young anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, gosh, it's crazy. Last time I had a film in the Atlanta Film Festival, I was young. Um, and being in the Atlanta Film Festival really shaped everything. I mean, it just set me off like the way Den just described Katie being a wind in our sails. That's what the festival was for me. It was my world premiere of my first film, and I had no idea what I was doing. Still don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I at least got to, you know, gain this huge commit community here in Atlanta. I didn't know any other filmmakers really, except my little team. And um, it's just so important for filmmakers to have each other. What we do is just really unique and really difficult. Um, and it can also be really lonely, even before COVID. Um, it's a lonely field of work to be in. And you pour your whole self into it. Um, and it's nice to be surrounded by a bunch of people who do that for stories that they care about that much too. There's just a lot we can learn from each other and we need to celebrate each other. So it's a lot like I talk to a lot of artists. It's a it's a solitary um, job in some ways, but a film festival gives you the opportunity to compare notes and just um, spend time with other creatives who are invested in this same art form that you are. Yes, exactly. So people can see Refuge um, at the Carter Center, April 23rd at 5 p.m. Will you all be in attendance? Will you be answering questions? We will. Yeah. Great. So you'll save up your questions. And um, thank you so much, Erin and Din, for taking the time to speak with Access Atlanta. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. The AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on AJC.com, along with deeper looks at trends in arts and entertainment and compelling looks at lost bits of history. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. Trucker Yorkie Miles moved to Metro Atlanta from Montgomery, Alabama a few months ago and needed to give his real estate agent time to find him that perfect single-family home. Quote, I was kind of reluctant to sign a long-term lease, never knowing when the realtor would come through, unquote, he said. Miles decided to try co-living and Atlanta-based PadSplit. Groups such as PadSplit are helping to fill a void in affordable housing both here and in major cities across the country. Other co-living developers are catering to niche markets, including people who find the isolation of working at home alone too tough and desire an amenities-packed lifestyle, and those who desire to be real-life golden girls. Find out more in our look at this growing co-living trend in the Sunday, April 24th Sunday Living and Arts section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, or read the story online at AJC.com. 
Real Life Relationships is a monthly reader-contributed essay that explores the many ways in which we are connected and all of the emotions those connections can bring into our lives. Read this month's essay in the Sunday, April 24th Living and Arts section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or online at the Real Life blog at AJC.com. And if you're interested in contributing an essay, send an email to nedrarone at AJC.com. That's nedra.roan at AJC.com, N-E-R-D-R-A dot R-H-O-N-E at AJC.com. And include the subject line, Real Life Relationships. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host, the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.